So far, <clears throat> it's been a blast. Amen. What a great time we've had this morning worshiping God. And uh, are you guys ready to open up our Bibles? Amen. Let's go to God in prayer first. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for, uh, wow, what a great God you are. Uh, Father, we rejoice in your love and in your mercy, your kindness, and the hope that you give each of us, God. And with all the garbage and challenges we face in this world, that we always have hope in you, God. God, please bless our time now as we open our Bibles to study. Help us to learn, to grow, to become more like you, Father. Help us to be filled with your spirit, to be humble as we listen to your word preached. God, thank you for giving us the Bible that saves us, that directs us, that guides us, empowers us, and gives us hope in all situations. We love you, God. We ask you bless this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So, um, before we jump into the lesson, before we jump into the study, I want to ask your prayers <clears throat> about a very special event that we're trying to organize and put together in a few months. Really, in the spirit of this being Black History Month, we, we were trying to put together a special event. And I got to tell you about somebody first. Um, a very special person. His name is Fred Gray. For those of you who don't know him, some of you know him, or at least have heard of him, or probably read about him in school. Fred was famous for being the lawyer who defended Rosa Parks. And also being the lawyer who helped engineer the Selma boycott. And um, he worked with, very closely with Rosa Parks. He also was very famous because he took another case all the way to the Supreme Court, the Tuskegee Airmen case, and he defended them. He's actually been to the Supreme Court several times. He also defended the students that were escorted across picket lines to go to school in Alabama. Have you probably seen the pictures and and uh, a very historic moment. He has been right in the middle of history. In many ways, uh, an individual who's had a historic impact on our nation and therefore our world. He also was the one who went and recruited Martin Luther King to be the spokesman. He reached out to him, brought him into it, and they became very close friends and for many, many years have worked, they worked together uh, in the 1960s. And working with Hope Worldwide, I had uh, the blessing and the, and the privilege of being able to work with him. You know, he, uh, not only is he an incredible leader in the community, not only has he done all these amazing things in history, he is also an elder and an evangelist in the Church of Christ. And uh, a very godly, spiritual man. He is motivated. Um, uh, and at Hope Worldwide, we were looking for somebody to honor and give a Lifetime Achievement Award to. And we were able to do that. We gave him uh, a Lifetime Achievement Award. He was telling us how in 1973, he convinced an all-black Church of Christ and an all-white Church of Christ to merge and become one united Church of Christ in Alabama in 1973. So 
prayerfully we're going to get him out to speak and lead us and, and preach to us on a Sunday morning in May. So we're working behind that. And, and uh, if you have any thoughts or ideas, Doug has really become the engineer, Doug, Doug Weber. And they have a whole committee who's working to make all this happen. Um, Fred has already said he wants to come, he wants to preach to us, he wants to be with us. So, so just please pray for all the details. Uh, there's some big details involved in that, amen? So that would be very exciting. Now February is also known for what? Love, right? This is the, the, the big love month. Um, and my anniversary, yes. Uh, Michelle and I's anniversary was February 4th, uh, 30, 31 years. Now you're thinking, okay, what does this have to do with love? Okay, I want to tell you about this guy. This guy, oh, that guy over there. That guy charged into the beach, into the water, wrestled a 10-foot bull shark, grabbed it by the tail, and drug it out onto the beach and shot it. Now, you know that bull shark was completely shocked because he's the top of the food chain. And you know he had no idea that anybody was going to attack him, but he did. Why in the world would anybody do such a thing? Why in the world would anybody attack a shark? Well, the shark had just attacked his niece. And actually bit her arm off. And farther out in the water was his nephew. He did it to protect them from this shark. I'm going to tell you another story. A senior couple were taking a hike up in the hills somewhere between, actually between San Diego and L.A. And they're in their late 60s. And a mountain lion came out of the bushes and actually attacked the husband. And the mountain lion was literally had the husband's head in its mouth. And she, the wife, in her late 60s, attacked the mountain lion. She had no weapons. All she had was a ballpoint pen. And she attacked it and stabbed its eyes. And saved her husband from the mountain lion. What possesses a person to attack a shark or attack a mountain lion? What? Love. We do crazy things for love. We will go to extremes to protect those we love. We will put our lives at risk. To help those that we love. We'll lay down our lives. For those we love. Right? That's the power of love. The strength of love. The incredible force that love actually is. And the God doesn't say many times what he is. But one of the times actually in both the Old Testament and New Testament. The Bible tells us that God is love. That he is love. He actually is love. Love is a very powerful force 
in this universe. Love is a very powerful force in our world and in society and in people's lives. We thrive in love and we suffer for the lack of. We are not happy when we don't feel loved. We are in pain when there's a lack of love. You know, the love, I've always been amazed at how big Mother's Day is, right? It's a big day. And, and, and the reason I believe it is such a big day is because that's probably the purest form of love most of us experience in life. You know, the, a mother's love. And, 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 and you ask, you know, there's a lot of stats with prisons that on Mother's Day, thousands of cards are sent out. And on Father's Day, a few dozen. No, really. Because usually, the one thing you can count on is your mom's love, right? We even have sayings like, he had a face only a mother could love, you know? (laughs) Recognizing the power and the tenacity of that love. I mean, you think about it. If you were to see an ad in the newspaper... And someone said, I need a roommate, and you're looking to rent your room. And the ad said, I don't pay rent. I want you to cook and clean for me. I want you to buy all my food and my clothes. And I want you to pick up when I throw up. And I, and I want you to do everything for me. And then when I get older, I'm going to complain and criticize you and get really mad at you. Who would do such a thing? Parents do it all the time, right? Moms do it all the time. And we forgive them and we keep loving them, even when they hurt our feelings. And sometimes they can really hurt our feelings. But thus is the power of love, that you forgive and you just keep loving. And that's why so many of us are grateful for our moms, because that was probably for many of us the purest. And, and, and some of us, a few of us, actually had a dad like that. And what a difference that makes. You know, and I've, I've been through a lot in life and suffered a lot and seen way more death than any kid should have ever seen and been through things. I've been shot at, stabbed at, chased, and all this stuff. And, and people would tell me, people in the ministry would say, Robert, you should be really messed up. Why aren't you so messed up? And for many years, I'd just say, I don't know. You know, I mean, maybe I'm more messed up than you think, you know, but I don't know. But I figured out something. One blessing, incredible blessing that I had was I came home to a mom and dad who loved me. So even though we went through a lot of hardships, even though at one point we lived in our car, but I would come home to our car and feel loved. And I think that's what shielded me from all the garbage I went through. And sometimes we think, oh, we got to provide this and this and the latest iPad and the latest smartphone and this and that and all the college opportunities and da 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 The biggest thing you can provide your kids is love. That is the most important thing is love. It's so powerful. Now, there's different kinds of love, right? There's, in the Bible, there's four kinds of love. There's, of course, phileo. Oh, we lost the Greek on this. Um, which is brotherly love. The city 
Philadelphia, right? That's the city of brotherly love. Phileo, an audiophile, somebody who loves music. We use the word in different ways. There's stergos, and that's affectionate love. That's family. You think of family, the devotion that a family should have with each other. You know, that, that, that we're there for one another. That through thick and thin and 20 years from now, 50 years from now, you may not know the friends you have today, but you will know your family. And when you're in the hospital, oftentimes those are the people you can count on. You know, our family. And that's why it's so important the church be a family. Right? That we show that kind of love. That we have that kind of affection. And then, of course, there's Eros, which is the one that we love to celebrate this one. You know, that's romantic love. And we do all kinds of things for this. I would wash my car every Saturday and wax it to go pick up Michelle. And I don't even think she noticed. <clears throat> but I did it, and I vacuumed it. I ironed my shirt just to pick her up, you know. I remember I had a 63 Cadillac convertible. And I would wash, wash and wax. And look at that, it's a big car. It took a lot of wax. And I would wash it and wax it, and I'd pick it up. And I remember she picked, I picked it up, and she was like, why are we using this car? She was scared it was going to leave us broken down somewhere. And it actually did a couple times. But, <laughs> but, but for me, I was like, I'm pulling out all the stops on this date. I remember I had a dating budget of $25 a month. And when I would go out, you know, it was in the church, so we'd go out every weekend and friendship dates and stuff. And, and you know, and the dating in the church was just fantastic. But, hey, I would stretch my $5 on three dates, and on the fourth date, I spent my $20. Because that's the date I took Michelle on. The other dates, we'd go throw the Frisbee at the park or walk in the beach and skip rocks or something, Right? But you prioritize according to love, right? And my, hey, my $20 is well spent. She's still married to me 30, 31 years later. And then there's one called agape. And that's the one that is probably the most mysterious in terms of historically. It's a bit of an obscure word. And I've noticed that in the Bible, sometimes God will take an obscure word and define it himself. Give it a definition. We know agape is what? Unconditional love. Why? Because that's the word God uses to describe his love. To describe Jesus' love. Unconditional love. That means no matter what you do, he will not stop loving you. No matter what you think, no matter what you say, no matter what sins you've committed, he will not stop loving you. They say, well, then that means it doesn't matter what I do. No, because what you do determines whether you go to heaven or hell. So it does matter what you do. But it doesn't make God stop loving you. In order for him to stop loving you, he'd have to stop being God. Because God is love. He loves you, period. Just like we love our kids. But actually, not just like. Actually, way more than we love our kids. I mean, I remember <clears throat> the day that my oldest daughter was born. Do you remember, if those of you have kids, when you see that kid for the first time, you're, I was on cloud nine. 
I was just, wow, you know, I was just amazed. Actually, I thought we were having a boy. And I was like, isn't he beautiful? And the nurse was like, uh, take a closer look. <laughs> but I was just, I was just beside myself. And all I could think was how much I love this little bundle in my hands. And I remember when they told us that we had to go home, we had to leave the hospital. I was like, no, there's no nurses at home. There's no doctors at home. What if we drop it? You know, what if we, what if we forget something or, or you know, what if, what if something happens to it? You know, I mean, I was just scared. I drove home. I was going like 40 miles an hour on the freeway. Like, stay away from me. Stay away from me. Nobody hit me. I just, all I could feel was this tremendous love. And I felt that actually for every kid that was born, just in case they're listening to this recording, every kid, I felt that and I went through that. And what you need to understand is that's how God feels about you. You're his baby. You're, his, you're the one that he made the promises for. You're the one that he sent Jesus down to die on a cross for. That's you. That's how he feels about you. Now, it's up to you what kind of relationship you're going to have. But as for him, he loves you and wants to be close to you. That's agape love. Now, there's an even deeper word than agape. And unfortunately, we lost the Greek on this one, too. Actually, that's Hebrew. But okay, on the bottom, you see a Hebrew word. I think it's the most important word in the whole Bible. It's the word hesed. Hesed. Spelled H-E-S-E-D. Sometimes spelled C-H-E-S-E-D. It is the word that describes God's love. And sometimes that love is described or translated as loyalty, kindness, devotion, steadfastness. It's actually unconditional, but more than unconditional. What I used to describe people to, it is like, it's like a magnet. It's what you feel when you, when somebody loves you, you respond, you react. And you hopefully react with love. It's what we know, you know, if somebody gives you a birthday present, then their birthday's the next week. What are you supposed to do? Give them one, right? That's hesed. That's we're in a pack now. Some movies, some movies, you'll see a movie. There's like several movies where somebody saves this guy's life and he's Muslim. And he says, now my life is, is committed to you to save your life, right? That's hesed. That's a real thing. That's a biblical concept. When, when, when Joseph was in prison, and you remember he saved the baker, he saved, he saved a couple of people. And when they were leaving, he said, remember that you and I are in Hesed. I have loved you. Now it's for you to love me. Love is unconditional, but that doesn't mean it's without expectations. And we know that when we love somebody, we hope they'll love us back, right? And it hurts when they don't. It breaks our heart when we've poured out our lives and love somebody, and they don't love us back. Why? Because we are made in God's image. When Jesus died on the cross, he laid his life down for everybody. Therefore, everybody owes him 
their life. Whether you respond or not, it's on you. But he did his part. He said, I do. And he did. Now the question is, do you? And will you? He gave everything for you and I. Now the question is, how will we respond to that? That's hesed. That we love back. We know it instinctively. We know it when somebody gives us something, we want to give them back something. Who do we love to be with? The people who love us, right? I mean, if, if there's somebody you feel like is down on you, negative, has a low opinion of you, that's not the person you want to hang out with on your birthday. You want to hang out with people who love you, right? Who do you want to be with? People who love you. Who do you want to love? People who love you. Because that's how we're wired. We're wired to respond to Hesed. We're wired to respond to God. That's why it's so important you understand his love. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear is what gets us a lot in, a lot of us to come to church. Because we're scared of going to hell. We're scared of paying the price for our sins. And that's good. That's a good thing. There's, sometimes we need to be afraid. But that's not going to get you all the way to heaven. Because sooner or later you're going to get tired of being afraid. What gets you all the way to heaven is love. Religion at its most base level is motivated by fear. But maturing in religion is growing and being motivated by love. Which is a much more powerful motivation. Because if it's fear, then people get sneaky and, and try to figure out ways to cheat and all that. But if it's love, you don't want to let that person down. Whether they're watching you or not, you want to do what's right. And you want to make them proud of you. That's what being a Christian is. Is returning God's love. It's accepting Jesus' love, his devotion, and responding to that. If I walked up to a multi-billionaire and said, I will give you my wallet and all the wealth that it represents, my cards, my bank account, everything, it's yours. How about you give me yours? Let's trade. <laughs> Wait, he's a multi-billionaire. <laughs> it's not a fair trade. But what if he said yes? What if he walked up and said that? I'll give you everything. What should I say? Oh, thanks. I'm keeping mine, too. No. And it wouldn't be a fair trade. But of course I would want to give it back. That's what being a Christian is. It's understanding the debt of love. You remember Paul said that? Oh, man, nothing but the debt of love. That's hesed. We're in a pact. We're in a covenant with God. He, gave, he gives it all to you. Now, what do you give back to him? The Bible says all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another, right? If we love each other. This is so important that this is really what shows whether we're Christians or not. Not how big your Bible is. Not if you go to church more than God. Not if you're so religious you can just quote any scripture anytime. I remember I had a friend that she said, they used to sit around the table and every dinner the kids had to quote a scripture to dad. And dad, without opening his Bible, had to quote the scripture before and the scripture after. 
back to him. That's how well he knew the Bible. That's pretty awesome. But that's not what shows that we're Christians. What shows that we're Christians is how loving we are. How devoted we are. How committed we are to love. One of them, an expert in the law. What's 613? What number is that? What's significant about that number? That's the number of Old Testament laws. That's a lot of laws. There's 613 laws. I went to a bar mitzvah and watched a kid stand up and recite all 613. Memorized in Hebrew. Don't tell me memory scriptures are too hard. So he says, one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Of those 613, what's number one? He's saying. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your, and all your mind. We know this, right? This is the great commandment. It's just as important as the great commission. In fact, it's what should motivate us in the great commission. Is our love for God... And our love for each other. And the amazing thing is he doesn't stop there, does he? He also says, love your neighbor as yourself. He gives us two for one answer. Because you can't separate them. People try to separate them all the time. For some, it's easier to love people than to love God. They're right there. You don't have to seek them out. They're right there. And for others, it's easier to love God than people because God is good and perfect and people are not. People are a pain in the neck sometimes, right? So it's easier to love perfect God. But Jesus connects them. Loving God and loving your neighbor are tied together. Deuteronomy 11.1 says, Love the Lord your God and keep his requirements, his decrees, his laws, and his commands always. This is, this is when God was forming his nation, forming his people. Of all the peoples on the earth, he was trying to put his team together. The people that would be his people. And what does he tell them? Love each other. This is what they need to be known for. How much you love him and love one another. In John 14, 23, Jesus writes, Anyone who loves me will obey my Father and love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Who do we have a relationship with? The one that we love. If we do not love God, we can't say, I'm fine with God. God and I are fine. No, you're not. Not unless you walk with him. Not unless you talk with him. How good would my relationship with Michelle B if we didn't talk and we didn't share things and we didn't spend time together not at all right wouldn't be celebrating my 31 year anniversary because a relationship takes effort and commitment and devotion same thing with our relationship with God same thing with our relationship with each other I mean look around you look at these people sitting around you the measure of our Christianity is how much we love them. How much we're devoted to them. Yeah, but Robert, do you see the people sitting around me? <clears throat> yeah. So does Jesus. And he died on a cross for them. He loved them. Just like he loves you. Right? And we have to remember that. 
And the measure of our Christianity is how devoted are we to those people around us? When they're hurting, are we there for them? And I know, well, that's a lot of people. I can't be devoted to 300. You could probably be devoted to at least four or five of them and be in that kind of relationship, your Bible talk, right? Romans 13 it says, love is the fulfillment of the law. All those 613 laws, if you add them all up, you know what they equal? Love. They equal love. It's fulfilling everything. I mean, this is a big book. This is a lot in here. The summary of all of it boils down to loving each other. Which is really scary because what are religious people often known for? Self-righteousness, judgmentalism, legalism, which have nothing to do with love. The church has to be the most loving group around. The group that everybody wants to join. Because everybody wants to be loved. The question before us is how loving am I? How devoted am I? How committed am I to the family of God? And to God? I think we can grow a lot. And we can be that light shining in the city, right? What is that light? It's love. That people walk in and they don't just hear it preached. They see it in us. They feel it. I mean, how many, raise your hand if you came to this church because somebody loved you. Look at that. It's the magnet that God designed us to react to. Galatians 5.14, the entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, I know sometimes we don't like ourselves. Sometimes we get mad at ourselves. Sometimes we get down on ourselves. But generally, we're pretty good at taking care of ourselves. When self is hungry, who feeds self? Self. When self needs something, who gets it for self? Self. When self is hurting, who goes and gets pills? Self. Self is pretty good at taking care of self. Self is very aware of self. Self is very aware of everything self wants. And self often sees the world through self-lens and judges everything to how it affects self, right? And we end up making self our standard. And we use, and we're very aware of our strengths and tend to compare our strengths to other people's weaknesses. Why can't that person drive faster? Why can't that person think quicker? Why can't that person clean better? Why can't that person? And we compare. We don't compare our weaknesses to other people's strengths. No, because then that would make self look bad. <laughs> we walk in a room, who do we think about? Self. We look at a group picture, who do we look at? Self. How do we judge that picture? How do I look? Right? This is a terrible picture. Why is it terrible? Look at my hair. Why can't we not worried about anybody else's hair? So Jesus, he's, he's kind of playing with us on that. If you just love people like you love yourself, the world would change. It would be different, right? Oh, I think I skipped one. James 2.8. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, what is a royal law? That's a law from the king. Love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing right. 
You're doing it right. Just love the people around you. Love the people. Well, which ones? The ones that God puts in your path. The ones at work that God puts you near. The ones at school that God puts around you. The ones that's sitting around you. The ones that you become aware of their needs. That doesn't mean you got to go interview 300 people this morning and find out what all the needs are. But you know God puts people in your path. Love those. Be loving with those. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Jesus warned us that some people's hearts are going to grow cold. Don't let that be you. You know, when we came out of the baptistry, those of us who were baptized, we were so fired up. We wanted to hug everybody. We wanted everybody to know, I'm in. I'm in the family now. You can invite me for Thanksgiving. I'm here. (laughs) But as time goes by, we start seeing their weaknesses and their sin. Oh, don't like that one. Don't like that one. Don't want to be around that one. Don't want to hang around that one. This one just takes too much for me. We do. And it's easy to pull back our hearts. And then you know what happens? Somebody hurts us. No, they do. And I don't mean that lightly. And sometimes somebody hurts us really bad. And there's no wound like the wound of a family member. Somebody who really knows you. Because they know which buttons to push. You know, the hardest people to get along with are the people who know us the best. It's easy to get along with a stranger. We can be really nice to strangers. They haven't hurt us. But it's the people in this room. Sometimes it's the people in our family. Our own brothers, our, our blood brothers and sisters. That it's hard to love. I think it's why John said no one can hate his brother and, and love God. You either love your brother and you love God, or you don't love your brother and you don't love God. The test, and I'm telling you this, I'm just throwing these words out, but I know these words weigh a lot. And they're hard sometimes. It's so hard to forgive each other sometimes. Especially when it's somebody you thought was on your side. And they stab you in the back. All the more reason to fix your eyes on Jesus. Because he understands that. Did people stab Jesus in the back? Oh, yeah. Did people betray him? Oh, yeah. Did people let him down? Oh, yeah. Did people not appreciate and respect him? Absolutely. That's why he's the perfect Savior. You know that if you're reading through Hebrews, right? That's what it says, Hebrews 2. He was perfected by suffering. He became the perfect Savior for us because he suffered all these things and he did not sin. He kept doing right. And I I say all this knowing that it's hard, but you can do it. Si se puede, right? You can do it, right? You can. If your eyes are fixed on Jesus. If your eyes are not fixed on Jesus, you won't be able to. You won't be able to forgive and you won't be able to forget. And you won't be able to move on. 
and you'll be captured. Your future can be destroyed by your history. And you don't want that. We sang a beautiful song about breaking all those chains. That's what that song's about, is being set free in the Lord. Love. Yet I hold this against you. This was the Spirit talking to a whole church. I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. You remember when you were a young Christian? You'd write down those notes. You'd all week long go through those notes. And you'd check your heart. Am I doing this? Am I putting this into practice? How can you read books to make you better at whatever? To have more faith. To have more love. To grow. You'd be quick to repent. Quick to confess sin. That's what he's saying. Go back and do those things. Just like. I used to wash and wax my car. Keep that relationship special. Guard that. He says, repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place. A lampstand is a light. They weren't shining anymore. He said, I'll take your light away. You won't be able to sing this little light of mine. You won't have one. There's not a whole lot of love anymore. And everybody's chained down by feelings towards each other and suspicions and hurts and junk, just like the world. But we're called to be different. And Jesus has so much vision for you that he just went ahead and said, you are the light of the world. Because he knows we can grow. And be set free. And break every chain. Amen? Amen? That Satan tries to capture us. We're not only supposed to love each other. We're even supposed to love our enemies. Wait, wait. It's hard enough to love the people that I kind of love already. Even my enemies? Yes. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. He says, I want you to be just like your dad. Abba. Father. God. Who loved us when we were enemies of the cross. When we lived totally insulting and disrespecting God. When we were deep in sin totally disregarding Jesus and denying what he did for us. And God loved you anyways, and he won't stop. He's just saying, be the same. Love your enemies. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. It's not that we just say amen, but we need to say amen, amen. amen. But more than that, we need to live this out. We need to be the people that are so devoted to another, that we're so committed. And there's, and let me just let me say it, there's a lot of people already practicing that. But we don't believe in the 80-20. You know the 80-20 rule? 20% of the people do all the work and 80% of the people watch. No, we need to be 100% of us. Love. Serve. Give. Amen? 
Not just with words, but actions. What what do we do this week? Who are we helping? Who are we serving next week? Who are we encouraging? And there's, you say, well, what am I supposed to do? There's a billion things. Ask somebody. What can I do to help you? What can I do to encourage you? Do you need any help with anything? I sometimes think that we're set up in such a way that we have to see poverty just so God provides us the opportunity to love. We can't just walk away from the poor and suffering. It's our opportunity to be like Jesus, to be like God. Amen? Amen. Love must be sincere. You can't fake it, right? You know when somebody's saying, baby, I love you. You're a liar! You know they don't. God knows if you do or don't. You say, I love God, and I get into the worship, and I sing, and then you go home and yell at your spouse and yell at your kids and act like a big jerk at work. It's called hypocrisy, and God hates it. It's one of the few times where Jesus really gets angry is when he's dealing with hypocrites. Just be real. Be honest. If you're not loving, say, you know what? I'm not being very loving. I'm known for my discipline. I'm known for, for how organized I am. But I'm not known for being loving. Then repent. That doesn't mean you've got to get disorganized, okay? Keep your strengths. But it does mean that you've got to make sure you do and practice the most important things. Love. Mercy. Justice. Faithfulness, right? So... We know this. Love never fails. Love covers a multitude of sins. That's good news. Raise your hand if you have a multitude of sins. So, amen. There's hope right there, right? Love covers a multitude of sins. That's a lot. It never fails. Even the world recognizes this. If you judge people, you have no time to love them. Where there is love, there is life. I realized visiting the poorest places on the planet that what people need more than anything, yeah, they need food. Yeah, they need shelter. Yeah, they need clothes. And we need to provide it. But more than anything, they need love. And they need to know that they're not garbage. And that their life matters more than an insect. More than trash. And that their life means something. Because they don't feel it. And they don't hear it. And we can provide that. That love. I destroy my enemies when I make them my friends. I love that. Best way to deal with hatred, right? Is love. People must learn to hate. And if they can learn to hate, they can be taught to love. The world knows this. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Only love. What our world needs is not another political system. Not a political savior. We already have a savior. What our world needs is Jesus and love. 
And where's that going to come from? Us. That's our commission. That's our mission. We have been shown the most excellent way. We need to make sure we're walking in the way of the Lord. God bless you.